Uh, Okay, Matthew chapter 6, we're looking at the Lord's Prayer, and not just at the Lord's Prayer, but we're looking at the Old Testament background to the Lord's Prayer. Now, I know that when we went through the Sermon on the Mount, preached through that several months ago, we didn't really take into consideration the Old Testament background to this. And what would have been going through the mind of the disciples when they heard Jesus say, this is the way you ought to pray. And there are, we found, and we've already found some immediate connections, you know, with events of the Old Testament that undoubtedly for a Jew would have come to mind immediately. Why? Well, because they were so well-versed in the Old Testament. They didn't have a New Testament. They didn't have one. We we tend to think in terms of New Testament all the time, and we don't think like they thought. So being Jewish disciples, they had a different mindset than you and I do, And being so well-versed in Israel's history and knowing what God had promised to Israel, their minds began cranking out different thoughts, or or at least I think it's fair for us to assume they would have. Because as we've seen already, these phrases that we've seen in this Lord's Prayer have some very immediate Old Testament connections. The primary one being the Exodus. But not just the Exodus from the Old Testament uh, book of Exodus, but the promise of a new Exodus and the promise of a future release and a future redemption for the people of Israel one that would be lasting and permanent. Because we know that the exodus that took place out of Egypt sure didn't last long after they fell into sin, disregarded the Lord, began to worship idols, began to copy the the nations around them, and went off into idolatry, and God sent them off into exile and scattered them abroad around the earth, and destroyed their temple and brought it to ruin was a vivid picture for them of the need for an additional release and an additional deliverance that would establish them in their land permanently. And the prophets in particular are replete with these promises that he is going to bring them back to the land. And not only that, but there would be a permanent forgiveness of sins and a permanent release of all debts. Hence, this phrase we have in the Lord's Prayer in verse 12 of Matthew 6. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Now let's pray. Father, bless us, we pray, as we consider these thoughts Lord, help me to be true to your word, faithful to everything that you revealed to us, and that we might leave here with a new understanding, a new desire 
to forgive one another. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Here in this passage, these Old Testament backgrounds, as, as we've been talking about, you know, with the Lord's Prayer, it is, it is just a, a we've found it to be a, a rich and a full uh, prayer and one full of deep uh, meaning in terms of end times hope. And I think that's been the most remarkable thing for me of anything else that you pick up out of the Lord's Prayer is that everything, not just thy kingdom come, but everything in this Lord's Prayer here is centered on Israel's future hope, a return to the land, permanent occupancy, permanent forgiveness, all debts cleared, all sins forgiven. We saw the connection here about the words, our Father, always. When the Lord gave a promise regarding a future restoration and the term our Father was used, it was always, you, we saw, we looked these verses up, there was always a connection made to the Exodus. That's why we look at these passages and say, well, then there's a promise of a new Exodus. Now, the Old Testament doesn't use those words. But the very thought behind it is exactly the same. A, a, when, when we say new exodus, we mean a new deliverance for the people of God. A new place of established peace and residency and forgiveness of sins and release of debts. And it's permanent. Now, um, in this verse... He says, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Now, if you'll turn over to <clears throat> Luke's account, and I'm sure you probably already know this, but in Luke chapter 11 and verse 4, I believe it was verse 4, and verse 4, notice what he says there. <clears throat> he says, Forgive us our sins. Now, this is an, 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 an amazing uh, connection of sins with the word debts. For we also forgive everyone that is indebted. Luke, in this one passage, makes the connection between sin and indebtedness. Indebtedness meaning, of course, what we owe someone else. Now, he says, um, well, let me, let me just read from the uh, emphasized Bible, Matthew 6, 12. Okay? He says, uh, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Now, it isn't just Rotherham in his emphasized Bible that translates it this way, but so does the Amplified, the ASV, the ESV, the, Hamil the uh, Holman Christian Standard, the New American Standard, the Kingdom New Testament, 
the New, New English Translation, the NIV, and Weymouth New Testament, you get the idea? There's a whole lot of agreement that it's have forgiven. In other words, what Jesus is assuming here then is that if you are going to pray and ask God to forgive you for a sin debt, which you owe to God because you are indebted to God when you sin, then he's assuming that you have already forgiven the one other that you have sinned against or you are indebted to. Because generally that's the case. When we sin, it usually is not just you and me or just me and God, although that can certainly be the case. But frequently it involves others. And so the assumption is made here that if I'm going to get on my knees and I'm going to pray and say, Lord, please forgive me, da-da-da-da-da, whatever, the assumption is made here, as we have forgiven our debtors, those who are indebted to us, maybe for whatever reason, that forgiveness has already been extended. And you've settled that matter. Now, the Amplified Bible states it in even stronger and richer terms. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven. That is, left, remitted, and let go the debts and given up resentment against our debtors. I'm going to tell you, that's hard to do sometimes, isn't it? When you've been, as we would say it today, burned by someone or hurt by someone, it's not always easy just to let it go. Is it? Sure isn't. It is not always an easy thing. But, if we know where the Lord Jesus is coming from with respect to these debts and how the connection is made to the future, then it becomes a whole lot easier. And every Jewish person understood the nature of the forgiveness, excuse me, the forgiveness of sins and what it was related to. Now, Luke chapter 7. Let's turn over there, and let's look at a couple of New Testament passages, and then we're going to go back and look at the Old Testament background and see how they were taught this matter of forgiveness. In Luke chapter 7, verse 41. In Luke 7, 41, and this is reading, I'm reading on the emphasized Bible on this one. He says there, two debtors there were to a certain creditor. The one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. They not having wherewith to pay, he forgave both. Which of them, therefore, will love him more? I don't know. What's 500 denarii worth today? $50. 
Have you ever had anybody owe you a whole lot of money? And then you've had to forgive them because they were unable to pay the debt? That's what this creditor did. He was owed from two people. And he forgave them both. But one owed more than the other one. And so the question that Jesus had was, which will love him more? Maybe you're on the other end and you have owed someone and you've been forgiven. That certainly ought to give a sense of gratitude to your own heart when you have been the recipient of forgiveness. But in verse 43, he says, Making answer, Simon said, I suppose that he to whom the more he forgave. And he said unto him, Rightly hast thou judged. And then, turning towards the woman unto Simon, he said, Seest thou this woman? I entered into thy house. Water to me on my feet thou didst not give, but she with her tears hath wetted my feet, and with her hair wiped off the tears. A kiss to me thou didst not give, but she from the time I came in hath not ceased tenderly kissing my feet. With oil you did not anoint my head, but she with perfume hath anointed my feet. For which cause I say unto thee, her many sins have been forgiven, because she hath loved much. But he to whom little is forgiven, loves little. And he said unto her, thy sins have been forgiven. And they who were reclining together began to be saying within themselves, Who is this that even forgives sins? But he said to the woman, Thy faith hath saved thee. Go thy way into peace. Now, in the context of which we are speaking regarding this prayer and forgiveness of sins, there is no question in my mind as to the lesson that Jesus was teaching and what was brought to bear on the minds of the disciples regarding forgiveness of sins. Because it all had to do with a return and a presence in the land. Back to their own property, secure, at peace, And that word, thy faith hath saved thee, is in in context and in its other usages has to do with being saved for presence and occupation in the Lord's kingdom. And he was assuring her of her presence there because of the way she treated the Lord and the love she had for him. Now, it's going to become clearer as we move along. Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18 is another incidence 
um, oops, turn right on by it. In Matthew chapter 18, there's an extended passage here again. We're going to read it because of the relationship that it has to the Old Testament. Matthew chapter 18 and verse 21. Notice what the Lord teaches them here. Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Till seven times? And just keep a note in your mind on that seven times. Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king. Now, isn't this amazing that he immediately begins to speak about the kingdom of the heavens? Having just answered a question about forgiveness. In this passage about the kingdom of the heavens, he says it's likened unto a certain king which would take account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him which owed him 10,000 talents. But for as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold and his wife and children and all that he had in payment to be made. The servant therefore fell down and worshiped him saying, Lord, have patience with me and I will pay thee all. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him. Check that word, loosed him. And forgave him the debt. But the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him a hundred pence, and he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me what you owe me. Now, that that lesson that he got, (laughs) that experience he had of being set free and released from his own debts did not carry over to those who were indebted to him. So in verse 29, his fellow servant fell down at his feet, besought him, saying, have patience with me and I will pay thee all. Practically the same words that he used when he pled for forgiveness. And he would not, but went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry and came and told unto their Lord all that was done. In other words, his fellow slaves went and told their master, you know, you forgave this slave of yours all this debt, but when it came time for him to forgive someone else of the debt that they had to him, he refused. Not only did he refuse, but he cast him into debtor's prison. So he says in verse 30, or excuse me, 31, 32, Then his Lord, after that he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt because thou desirest me. Shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was wroth, totally angry, and delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due unto him. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if you from your hearts 
Forgive not everyone his brother their trespasses from your heart. That goes beyond just saying, brother, I forgive you. It is not just merely a recitation of words, but it needs to come from the heart. And he then finally, he says in verse 35, So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if you from your hearts forgive not everyone his brother their trespasses. Wow. Well, over in Romans chapter 4, there's a interesting verse over there. Romans chapter 4 and verse 4, Paul, talking about the faith of Abraham and how he simply believed God's promise and it was counted to him for righteousness. And of course, to be counted for righteousness for a Jew was a desirable thing because that meant acceptance on the behalf of the Lord and his promise of a future kingdom, a future presence under his rule. But in verse 4, he says, Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. That word debt is the same word used by Matthew about forgiveness of debts. Now to him that works is the reward or the payment, the wages, is not reckoned or counted of grace, but of debt. In other words, what is actually owed. Now, you need to tie that in with the idea of forgiveness because what is owed is a real deal. Whether it be a monetary thing or a material thing or whether it be a moral thing, because that's why you have this play sin and debts or sin debts, we could say, is because... Many times we have been offended against. And it becomes our duty then to forgive. Some find it a little bit easier to forgive and just move on. Or as we were saying last week from the movie Frozen, let it go. Let it go. How much harm does it do to you and me when we hold these things right here in our heart and we just can't seem to let it go? In all, it doesn't hurt the other person. All it does is hurt you and me and brings great pain to us when we can't let go. Let it go. Forgive is the Bible word. Forgive. Um, Verse 5 says, But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted 
for righteousness. Now, moving on, moving on from there, we want to. Um, I, I want to just reiterate or mention again about this thing about debt because debt is f- frequently used in Scripture in its in its contextual places uh, with a reference to sins. What is owed? Um, can't remember who I got that. See who said that. I think it was from Robertson's Word Pictures. I believe I want to give credit where it's due, but I think that was where this came from. But he says debt represents sin both as a wrong and as requiring satisfaction. In other words, if there is a debt owed, if there has been a wrong done, it requires that satisfaction be made for that debt. And forgiveness is one means. Now, the person committing the wrong or the person owing us can satisfy the debt. They can repent or they can pay off the debt. And everybody goes their merry way. But if they don't, if they don't, then how is it satisfied? Only when we forgive. Then it falls to us to look the other way. To send it away. Because that's what the word forgive means. Dismiss it. Send it away. Let it go. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 32, and I'm just going to go ahead and read this. If you want to turn there, you can, but you know this verse so well. He says there, And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, excuse me, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Now, what I'm focusing on here is the fact that we have already been forgiven. Christians, believers in Christ, have already been forgiven, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. That is the basis for forgiving one another. And, of course, the context here is in the fellow body of Christ, the local assembly, forgiving each other. In Colossians chapter 2, he says, And you, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. That's a wiping clean of the slate. God has left nothing on the plate for us. He's taken care of it, forgiven you all trans- transgressions, all sins have been wiped clean. Why should we then hang on to something that somebody else has done to us? We should send it away by forgiving. 
In Colossians chapter 3, just one chapter over in verse 13 also, he says, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so do ye. So our present forgiveness demands that we be forgiving of our brothers. The word, This word forbearing means simply this, holding yourselves back from one another. In other words, you don't pounce on them for the wrong they did or for the debt they owe. But you forbear. Um, how does all this relate then to the Old Testament? And what, again, were Peter and James and John and Andrew and Bartholomew and all the other disciples who were listening to Jesus teach them in this great Sermon on the Mount, and as he was teaching them this prayer, what was rolling through their minds with the regarding this matter of forgiving? Let's go check it out. I think one of the um, uh, biggest things that we can turn to with this matter of the canceling of debts would go back to what? What would you think of in the Old Testament? What thing did God teach them back in the Pentateuch about regular forgiveness of debts? Who said that? Jerry. The year of Jubilee. It was a big deal to every Jew. Now, they did it every seventh year also. And then you remember about that seven times seven, 49. And then in that 50th year, the year of Jubilee, Leviticus chapter 25. Let's turn back there for a moment and let's just look at some things there. And I want us to see this. What's exciting is the connection made. with their promise of a presence in the land. Every 50 years, every Jew who had a debt or had sold himself into slavery to a fellow Jew was to be released and turned back. Can you imagine? You know, in the scriptures, in Isaiah 61 which hopefully we'll get to that, I hope. But when he said that, uh, when, when Jesus read that passage, you remember? Sitting there in the synagogue. And he says, this is the year of the Lord's favor. I think they would have been thinking about the Jubilee. He said, to proclaim liberty to the captives and to the prisoners those in debtor's prison, to set them free. I, I don't think it was a, a stretch of the imagination one bit to know what he was referring to 
and what those disciples would have been thinking about that jubilee. Knowing that that was what the Pentateuch taught, what the Lord taught his nation. And you know one of the things that that did, every seven years and then every 50 years, you know what that guaranteed? That there would be no poverty. There would be no poor people. Everybody had a chance to go back to his land and start all over. It's an amazing, you know, God's laws are absolutely amazing. And his system of government is just incredible. And it, it, it just stirs me to think ahead to the, to the millennium when the Lord establishes his rule over the earth and he sets his brethren in places of honor, in places of rulership, What kind, is he going to use the same principles? I think so. It's going to make this earth a beautiful, beautiful place. And a great place to be. Not like it is today. When everybody does like this other creditor, when he grabbed him by the throat and said, you better pay up, buddy. And taking him to court and suing. We're such a litigious society wanting to sue on the right and sue on the left because I didn't get treated right. In verse um, 24, Leviticus chapter 25, verse 24, he says, And in all the land of your possession, you shall grant a redemption for the land. In other words, a redemption, a release of all these who are indebted or in debt. I'll also look also to, look, look at verse 28. Um, he says there, Then let him count the years of the sale thereof and restore the overplus unto the man to whom he sold it, that he may, re- and here's what I want us to focus on, return unto his possession. The idea was, not to take the guy's land and keep it for yourself. Now, you had possession of it for a time. But when that year of Jubilee came, you gave it back. Look also um, at verse, let's see, is it verse 28? No, verse, thir- verse 38. This is what I, and I want you to look three times here. This connection made to the Exodus. He says, I am the Lord your God, in verse 38, which brought you forth out of the land of Egypt to do what? To give you the land of Canaan and to be your God. Verse 42, he says, for they are my servants, which I brought forth out of the land of Egypt. They shall not be sold as slaves. In other words, they weren't, they weren't supposed to sell a fellow Jew as a slave. If, if, a, if a Jew came to another one and, and voluntarily put himself in bondage to another Jew, then he was not allowed to take that Jewish person as a slave and sell him to someone else. Look at verse 55. 
For unto me the children of Israel are slaves. They are my slaves whom I brought forth out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. You know what all that speaks of? When he says they are my slaves? All right. What did we say over and over and over again when we taught through the New Testament about slaves? Every slave, what? Had an owner. What lesson do you think God was teaching his people when he brought them out of Egypt and says, you're my slaves. I own you. And so you treat your fellow brothers according to the dictates given in this chapter And the year of Jubilee was meant to be a release, a constant. And and of course, in Deuteronomy 15, we find this. Matter of fact, I suppose we probably should try it. Well, yeah, let's go over there. Deuteronomy 15, before I run out of time. it's It's an interesting little verse here I want us to look at. Deuteronomy 15. This served as a constant reminder, this every seventh year, and then this every 50th year, when debts were forgiven, slaves were released to go back to their property. You notice how many times that's mentioned? Deuteronomy 15. At the end of every seven years, thou shalt make a release. That is, setting them free. And this is the manner of the release. Every creditor that lends anything ought and is supplied there. That means lends anything unto his neighbor shall release it. He shall not exact it of his neighbor or of his brother because it is called what? The Lord's release. I'm just telling you, if it's the Lord's release, how can you harbor sin in your heart? How can you harbor a grudge against someone who's indebted to you, who owes you because they haven't paid you or because they've wronged you? Of course, the context here is a brother, both in Israel as well as in the New Testament, in the church, in the body of Christ. Verse 3 says, of a foreigner thou mayest exact it. (laughs) Different for them. But that which is thine with thy brother, thine hand shall release. Now watch this. Save when there, uh, excuse me. Now the King James says, save when. But other translations say the better rendering is, um, but there shall be no, no poor, or but so that there shall be no poor among you. In other words, the whole idea of the Lord's release every seventh year and in the year of Jubilee was to limit poverty within the nation. And God's blessings would flow out on that nation because he was the king. 
He would rule over them in the land of Canaan, in the promised land, if they would only look to him. Now, of course, we understand Israel's failures. We understand that they didn't do that. We understand that they did violation to God's law. And because of it, God sent them off into exile. And so, as I've said in every single phrase of this prayer up to this point, the picture that God has given to us is that there is going to be one day, by the promise of his prophets, a future release from exile, a new exodus. And when Jesus came preaching the gospel of the kingdom and forgiveness of sins, They knew what he was talking about, and they understood that when they were placed back in their land, according to the promise that the prophets had given, that all debts and all sins would be forgiven. And, hmm, I forgot my verse. I don't know. Let's see. Well, I'm just going to tell you. There's a passage, and I forgot it. I don't remember where it's at. But it says, and there shall be joy in the land. Joy. What a, what a prospect to look forward to for you and I. If we pray this prayer and practice this prayer to know that when we stand before the Lord... And if we have been genuine from our hearts, as the Lord said, to forgive, oh, what joy there is going to be in that future land. In that future presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, when we are called to give account, just like these just like we saw there in uh, Matthew's gospel in chapter 18 and Luke's gospel, and I forget the chapter there. I can't remember. It was um, Luke chapter 7. What joy will be ours? Now, I have to quit because time's up, and I've just, but I didn't quite get done here. So maybe I'll take that up and finish it next week. But let's, let's take to heart what God is teaching us about the issue of forgiveness. And, and when you pray that prayer and wonder why in the world, when you're praying about thy kingdom come, did he let slip in there something about daily bread, something about forgiving of sins, and realize that these things weren't just haphazardly thrown into a prayer. But they are all connected to that future release of Israel from exile and deliverance of God's people from the clutches of this cosmos, this present world system, where we will be taken to be with the Lord forever. What a joy, what a prospect to look forward to. But if I'm harboring in my heart If I'm harboring in my heart an unforgiving spirit, an attitude on that day, just like that unforgiving creditor, 
or the guy that was, excuse me, had a, uh, yeah, he was a creditor and he had an unforgiving spirit and took that guy. I'm just trying to picture grabbing him by the throat and just, hey, guy, you pay up after he'd been forgiven so much. It's not going to go so well at the Lord's judgment seat. I pray that we'll all have that attitude and spirit, whether it's dealing with issues of the past or whether when we walk out that door, we get smacked with something today, tomorrow, sometime this week, and somebody tries to burn us. We need to be ready to forgive and do it quick. Don't let it harbor in your heart. Let's pray. Our Father, we, we do want to thank you for blessing us with this prayer. And I thank you that the disciples asked this prayer so that, uh, that they asked you to teach them to pray so that we could have these words before us to remind us of the importance of what it means to be forgiving. I pray, Father, that you would direct our hearts and our thoughts in those times of need to this very prayer. And we would consider what you have for us in that coming day when we stand before you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.